Okay. Sorry. Off to it. Off to it. <laughs> Off to it. Stop. <laughs> you have to stop. You have to stop. That was my last one, I promise. <laughs> oh, this is so funny. No, it's terrible. <laughs> okay, let's go. Here we go. Well, hi there, and welcome to the YM Podcast, a show all about educating and engaging apostolic leaders just like you so you can become more effective in youth ministry. I want to thank you for supporting the show. If you love this episode, please text it to a friend and fellow leader. Share it on social media. Leave us a star rating and a review. That would be so much appreciated. As you heard from the opening blooper reel, we're going to have a lot of fun today as we talk about a very important subject, the subject of leadership transition. I was reading a book the other day. And I read this incredible quote that every pastor is an interim pastor, that one day all of us will hit the exit ramp of ministry. And the question then becomes, how do we set up the next generation of leaders? How do we pass the baton well? And that's what we want to talk about today. And I've got two great people to talk about this, Pastor Ryan Dean and Pastor Levi Golden. Ryan serves as the pastor of the Pentecostals of Bossier City in Bossier City, Louisiana, along with his wife, Sherry, and three children. He previously served as a youth pastor for 15 years, an assistant pastor for three years. And we also have Levi, his replacement. He is the youth pastor of the Pentecostals of Bossier City in Bossier City, Louisiana, along with his wife, Megan, and they have a little boy, Beckham. He also serves as promotional director for the Louisiana District so excited. There's so much wisdom. They're very vulnerable. They talk about what they did right, what they wish they could have done better, all so that they can help you transition to the next phase of leadership well in your church and in your youth group. So excited. We're going to laugh a ton. There's some wild stories of crazy things that have happened in youth ministry we're going to share at the end. So without any further ado, let's jump right into our conversation with Ryan Dean and Levi Golden. Here we go. You're going to love it. Well, Ryan and Levi, it's so good to have you guys on the show today. How you guys doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. That's awesome. That's Levi talking. It's awesome yes. to be back on the pod, man. That's great, man. I, I'm, I'm not going to take any more time. I just want to turn everything over to you guys. You guys have uh, a great conversation about transition and leadership. And I just want to turn the floor or the show completely over to over to you for the next few moments. So whoever wants to go first, you guys just jump right in. We'll let Pastor Ryan go. All right. Uh, yeah, you wanted to talk to us about transition. And Levi and I had quite a few discussions early on. And we've tried to have discussions throughout his uh, first few years here. But at the same time as he's been transitioning, I've been through two transitions now. And so it's kind of been a, a constant topic with us. But uh, one thing we wanted to discuss was really kind of those early days of recognizing, first of all, after spending 15 years in student ministry, figuring out that it was time to transition out of that was, um, it, it's a lot of different emotions. There's the mixture of the heartbreak because you, if you're in ministry with student ministry, you love it. You've, you come to love it because they're just a lot more fun than most people. You get to deal with you know, these younger adults and these hyphens, and they're just, they're a blast to be around. So when you start realizing that you're a little bit too old now to relate to everything that they're saying, I realized after I stopped being able to keep up with what they were saying, I started realizing, okay, for some reason I'm connecting with the hyphens more 
than the senior high, a little bit less than the junior high. I had almost no idea how to connect to him anymore. And it kind of coincided with the transition that our church was going through anyways, with my brother-in-law, who was our assistant pastor leaving. And uh, we knew that the day was approaching, but then I really started noticing my effectiveness at reaching them on a real personal level was kind of, it was kind of dissipating a little bit. So it all, all happened at the right time. Um, and it's, it's, it's bittersweet because especially after spending so long with them, um, it becomes part of your identity. And that's, I think that's part of what makes transition from one thing to another or from nothing into your first ministry step. It makes it a little bit nerve wracking, a little bit heartbreaking, a little bit exciting. Uh, and we recognize, Hey, it's, it's time for us to step out. And then that began a process for us to find the right replacement. And Levi, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but from the time that that Shannon, our former assistant pastor, left to the time that we appointed you as student pastor, I want to say that was about a year to a year and a half, somewhere between that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So we're searching, you know, and we're going through the whole process of finding somebody. And at some point early on in the process, somebody said, well, what about Levi and Megan? And I got to tell you all about Levi and Megan really quickly here. They both grew up in our church. These are lifelong POVC people. They had slightly different paths. And that, you know, Megan has, she and her sisters have been uh, in the youth group, all three of them, through the whole process. They've been very close to us. We've always been kind of protective of them because they're like the little jewels of our church. Uh, they're just incredible spirits, incredibly sweet. And then you had Levi growing up in the youth group as well. And Levi was the one that at Youth Congress in 2003, I think it was, got into a random impromptu dance battle with some guy that was like a street performer and it developed like this big crowd around us and so you have the sweet little girl and then you have the crazy like Dancer. 13 year old or so at the time having dance-offs with people fake sneezing on random strangers but that's a different story and somebody said well what about Levi and Megan and Levi might tell you a little bit about their story after the fact but it made a whole lot of sense and at one point, you came and preached for us at Revive, our annual yeah, conference. Yeah, I, re I remember that. I'll never forget that yeah. conversation. Yeah, I'll probably get emotional retelling it because I'm a crybaby. But we talked to you about Levi and Megan for a little bit. Yeah. And then we're, we're all in our family life center. And Adam, being Adam, goes over to Levi and sits down. And unbeknownst to Levi, Adam begins like interrogating him spiritually. <laughs> <laughs> the great job interview that I didn't know about. He, he's spiritually just attacked yeah. Levi and asked him all these questions. And Levi starts crying, yeah, saying, talking about his love for souls and just wanting to anything to be used by God, whatever God wants me to do. I want to be used by, I just need, I've got to reach souls. I've got to do something. Right. And which echoed a conversation that we had at a restaurant a few months prior to that. Uh, and I'll say this for Levi, cause I don't know how much he'll reveal of it, but Levi, comes from a, an incredible family and his dad's a fantastic, unbelievable man in our church, just absolute dignity and integrity. And uh, he's a businessman and it's a family business. And Levi was working in his father, father's family business. And when it came time that we're trying to make these decisions and go through this long process and we said, what about Levi and Megan? And at some point, everybody, the consensus kind of just became, well, let's talk to him. And the first thing that we did was my father, uh, the pastor of our church went to Levi's father, Carlton. He said, listen, um, 
we want to ask with your permission, if it's okay, I know that he works for you and I know that this is a family business. Would you be okay with Levi and Megan be asked to be our next student pastors? And his dad started crying. And I don't remember the exact phrasing. I, I haven't had a chance to ask my dad to remind me, but he said something akin to this is like my greatest dream come true. And then we meet with Levi and Megan and we're already emotional in the process. We're in a little Starbucks at a target around the corner. And we asked Megan and Levi and it blindsided them. And they looked at us and they started tearing up and they said, why us? And my dad was like, that's, that's why, because we ask you and you almost like there's this built in dedication, humility. And I want to get too personal with this because I know we're trying to kind of reach a broad group of people with this podcast, but God just sort of lined everything up. He let us know when it was time to transition. It was a gradual thing at times where I started feeling more and more like God was trying to move us. Uh, we do this search and God more and more and more reveals to us. And also, cause there are our kids, Levi and Megan, like they're ours. We're protective of them and you don't want, you don't want them hurt in any way. And the truth of the matter is ministry comes along with a certain amount of hurt just built into it. And so you're protective of them, but it all starts happening. So once they accepted and once we all cried and did our thing, then we had to start coming up with a plan because I'm not a deliberate person by nature. So I have to really focus on that. And so I started setting some ground rules, some of which I told Leave about. Some of them I kept private, but one of them was that I kind of referred to it as a deliberate distancing. So I said, I have 15 years of being attached to these students. I have to step far enough away to them where it gives Levi and Megan the time that they need to connect deeply. And so for a period of time, I wasn't talking to them as often. If they saw me at church, I'd say hello and be friendly, but I wouldn't hang out and just chat and be part of the guys in the group the way that a youth pastor often would. I'd step away just so that Levi and Megan had that time to really get attached and be deliberate about that distance between us. And uh, I did that with the group. So in regards to just Levi and their connection, I just pulled myself away from the group so that there's time. But the other thing is that I think a, in conversations I've had with other people who have transitioned, especially here recently to a pastorship, a lot of times people step away, not just from the group that you're leading, but also they step away and they don't offer themselves and make themselves available. So with Levi, I told him, look, any question you have, you got to come to me. If you're worried about something, don't struggle with that alone. You've got to come to me. I've got 15 years of doing this. If, if you're in a transitional period, you have to have somebody to rely on. Yeah. And I didn't want to be so detached that I wasn't available to Levi. I had to let him know you've got to talk to me about this stuff. And so uh, Levi could attest to this over the years. We've had certain situations where he's coming. He said, listen, this is what's going on. And some of the things were new for him. And some of the things were just repeat trials that you go through. And he said, Hey, like one time he's like, Hey, I've got this certain issue. There's a student coming in and they want to meet, but I'm worried about this meeting. And I said, okay, here's how it's going to go. This is what they're going to say at the beginning. This is how they're going to react after you talk to them about a certain issue. This is the emotions they're going to go through. And then this is how you can end the meeting. And Levi's like, okay, okay. A few days later, he comes back and he's like, dude, literally every step of that conversation <laughs> went exactly how you said it was to a T it was yeah. crazy to be honest that's what 15 years does to youth pastor but he knew exactly no it's perfect that's what 15 years of being pummeled in the face psychologically <laughs> by young people will do to you 
<laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, there was that availability. And to this day, I'm, I'm trying to tell Levi, even though now he's got three years of experience under his belt, but anytime you have to be available and there's got to be conversation going back and forth. And uh, lastly, on that rules of transition point, again, I'm not, Adam, you might know this about me. I don't accept compliments well. No, not not very well. I we've been, I, fr- we've been friends a long <laughs> time, and and you don't you don't. That's that's one of the reasons why I do all the introductions after the recording is over. Because <laughs> it wouldn't make me feel uncomfortable at all. It makes me want to yeah, take a full sprint in the opposite direction. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but because I'm like that, sometimes I project that outward and say, "Well, other people don't like that attention as well." well here's the problem: when you have somebody transitioning into a role, especially a youth pastor. Uh, youth pastors are oftentimes going to be like a little dartboard for people, you know, just because people like to pick on youth pastors for some reason. And so I had to make myself aware, look, there's got to be not just private support with my availability. There has to be public support. So anytime they had an event, you've got to go up there. If there's any pastors listening to this or anybody who's assistant pastor and you're trying to motivate somebody who's in new ministry well you've got to publicly support them and that doesn't come naturally to me but i don't even know if levi was aware of how much it might have gotten awkward a few times but he and megan i wanted to brag on them probably still didn't do it enough but i wanted to brag on them just to give that public support and in private conversations i would always point out you know like these are the things i was terrible at look at how good they're doing with this so it's constantly this propping up it's constantly this trying to lift people up uh, so that the rest of the church sees like they've got our support because God knows we all need somebody to support us at times in a way where it's not just about them saying it to us, but it's about setting us up for success with the rest of the church. And so those are all our rules that went into it. Some we did better than others. Sometimes we went through lulls where maybe I didn't do it enough, but yeah, there's just that, that deliberate distancing so that I gave them time to connect. Now I got back in the fray a little bit. But I had to give them that time to connect with the group. Wanted to make myself available for Levi and Megan. My, my, my wife and I both wanted to be available to them. And also that background support where the rest of the church says, hey, they've got the full support of Ryan and Sherry, a pastor and sister Dean. Everybody's behind them. Those are the things. Now, there are some issues. Probably could have done better. Saying to Levi, hey, let me know whenever you have an issue is probably not enough. Levi and I probably should have had like a debriefing maybe every other week or so and said, hey, Thursdays, 10 o'clock, let's go over all any issues that y'all are having right now. How do things stand? What's going on? That intentional availability was probably an oversight for us. And so maybe it's not too late for that, Levi. Let's let's just meet next next Thursday <laughs> instead of recording podcasts with Canadians. And so... <laughs> But that intentional availability, we probably could have done a lot, done a lot better at giving that structure to it. Uh, and the other thing, I'm curious to hear what Levi says about this, though. Maybe in my course of distancing, perhaps sometimes got a little bit too hands off. Would you say that that would be the case at times? Be honest I, now. I wouldn't say it was. Uh, no, um, I do remember early on. We're having our first youth event that I was officially the youth pastors in the summertime. And um, uh, we were just hanging out at a park or something and we were going to play soccer. And uh, I invited you and Sister Sherry to come hang out with us, just thinking, oh, this would be cool. It's the old youth pastor and then the new one. We're all going to hang out together. But you told me 
you said, no, this is going to be a good time for you and Megan um, to go and hang out with them. And uh, you were deliberate by not coming to that event or that hangout night. Um, and that's when I first started getting the key signs like, okay, take a deep breath, Levi, but you are the youth pastor. Go hang out with them and, and, and now start fulfilling this role versus trying to lean on Pastor Ryan at that time and say, okay, you come too, right, and help me hang out with them. But no, that separation, um, I would say, helped, helped us probably versus – Did we ever go too far with that? No, I wouldn't say so. I wouldn't say so. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I wouldn't say that it was too far, no. I mean, because there, and I, I don't mean to break in, but there's like, there's a certain like deep end of the pool kind of thing that happens. Um, you know, I, I remember this was, again, probably 15, greater than 15 years ago. I think it was 18 years ago. It was my first youth service as a youth pastor. And, uh, I remember when like the door closed in the half Sunday school room that we were using and it was just me and, and this group of, of teenagers just staring blankly at me that I realized, Oh no, what have I done? Yeah. And you have to have those, you have to have those you know, at some point, at some point in, in any transition in leadership, there has to be a clean break. And because the, the, if there's not that clean break, then you never, you never have to do the hard work of becoming a leader um, and people seeing you as that leader. Now, I think it's really important, like you said, Ryan, to have that, that public support because, you know, a weird thing happens when a youth pastor transitions into another role, all of a sudden, instantly he becomes or she becomes legendary in the eyes of the people the very same people that maybe a year earlier would have been like fighting you on decisions you made. But the moment you transition out, nostalgia is often friendlier than actual history and you become legendary in the eyes of the people. And so your highlight, like their memory of you, especially if you're still at the church and you're still respected, the new guy becomes judged by the highlight reel of the, of the old, of the old leader and so having you know the prior the transition leaders public vocal support present in the life of the church i think is so important so that they're not holding up your for your day one on the job to you know year year 12 at whatever the peak moment of of you know your youth conference was that there's that there's that public support anyway i'm, I'm rambling but oh I, I think you're right that because uh, i can go back to my it was my first year that I was married. So it's about year three of student ministry. And on a Wednesday night, that was, it was a very, very rowdy group. Levi can attest to that because <laughs> he was like one of the younger he members. Was the, of the rowdy group. group. <laughs> and man, I was like, I, I, as I'm standing up, getting ready to speak on a Wednesday night in youth service, I felt so overwhelmed by the, just the sheer rowdiness and like disrespect and I was like, I don't think I'm made for this. And I, I remember I was silent and everybody was still laughing and cutting up. And then after about two minutes of dead silence, everybody finally stopped talking. And I was on the verge of just breaking down. So I just closed my folder. I walked to the back of the room and I told our, my friend and our music minister, I was like, don't let them leave the room until eight o'clock. And I walked to a storage room in the back of our family life center and just broke down crying. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like, I don't mean to laugh at your pain. 
I was like, God, I can't do this. I'm clearly not cut out for this. And, but the thing is, um, yeah, that was, that was like the deep end of the pool moment for me where I'm like, you look, you gotta, you gotta man up and be what God called you to be. But I just wanted anybody to save me at that time, you know? But yeah. it was it was instructive though. I mean, it was crazy, but it was instructive. I wish I hadn't walked out though. That was a little weird. Well, I I mean, I re- I remember uh, we were in a Sunday school room, and Ryan, you've been to our church, and we were in. You've been in our our youth room that that we had, um, but before that, it was a toddler Sunday school class of teddy bears on the wall that I would I would cover up um, with uh, garbage bags just because. Um, we had had a, a leak in our 65-year-old church building, and the paint had bubbled all over the faces of these teddy bears. And so it was a mix of uncomfortable and, frankly, horrifying. And I'm 19 years old, and, <laughs> and I'm, 19, I'm, 19, I'm 19 years old, and um, I'm trying to get them to worship, and I'm the only one praying loudly in tongues. And then I half opened my eyes, and they're staring at me, and I've been praying in tongues now for about three minutes and nothing has happened. And, um, it was a pretty, it was a pretty, <laughs> sorry. It, all of you that are listening on this audio only format, Ryan right now is losing his mind. <laughs> it got so hot. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, I, I don't know how we got to swapping our, our first day. All I'm saying is, Levi, if you inherited that current student center, um, anybody that's in, like you've like it's everybody's got the first day on the job. But but there those those of us that are old in youth ministry, we the those first few days, the those first few months, <laughs> Pastor Ryan had a folder and just walked out and cried. I'm glad I haven't got to that point yet, but he had a folder. Yeah, kind of dating yourself, like real paper and stuff. Stop it. iPad or something closed his that eight and a half by (laughs) eleven stack of like eight pages of horrible sermon material. Yeah. What you guys think you did right, Ryan? What What do you think? What do you think that you've done? You've done right. Levi touched on a little bit, but uh, or we were planning on touching that. It's the sharing of the experience and yeah. Um, it, it's a little bit easier because again, we have kind of a lifelong relationship. I've known him literally since he was born. I was a child, but, um, and so there's that comfort level there, but it's the sharing of the experience. And also I think the, the biggest deal was the public was the public support. It, a lot of it happens just because he was homegrown. And so people naturally feel an innate sense of protection or protectiveness over, uh, a home-built, homegrown minister and his wife, they've known them their whole lives. And so that was all there, but making sure that people knew that we had absolute faith in them. Um, Cause we could have, you know, just full disclosure. I mean, we, we did look, we did our due diligence. We looked outside of the church and they're excellent people all over, man. You, we, you could pick from just about anywhere, but we had absolute faith that, that uh, Levi and Megan were God's will. And, Putting that absolute faith and making sure people knew that it was there, putting it out there publicly, I think is probably the best thing that we did. Um, and also the private conversations where I'd be like, hey, you remember how I was terrible at organizing an event? 
look at the food trucks and all the activities and all the things that are going on, the music, the production, all that. They knew how to make a youth event in a way that I never did. And I would often, just because maybe it's like the, maybe it's genetic, it's like built into the Dean code. But the greatest compliment we could pay somebody else is to tell them, hey, look how great they are and how terrible we were. But <laughs> them, hearing, them hearing that, I think it was just constant reinforcement to let people know that, look, we have faith in them. Yeah. Now, Levi, I want to hear, I want to hear from you. So, um, talk to us. We've, you know, we've heard Ryan's kind of story. Uh, we want to hear from your perspective. So Ryan, you know, he represents the, the individual that has been serving for a long time, you know, catches the signal from the Lord. That's it's time to, it's time to do something different. It's time to move into a new Avenue of ministry and, and, um, I remember that conversation and, uh, and, uh, when I was down visiting, uh, visiting you guys. And I remember, I remember going to Ryan afterwards and I was like, yeah, he's the guy, he's the guy. And so that was, that was, it was kind of cool. It's cool. Now a few years later to have, to, after I interrogated you, um, after, after being able to have that conversation and, and now we're here, you know, having this conversation. So let's, let's hear your side of the transition story. Right. Yeah. Well, um, I do remember that conversation. So at that point in my life, uh, my wife and I, um, we went overseas that summer, took a, not really a missions trip, but we visited missionaries. Um, and, uh, God was dealing with me that whole year, um, speaking to me, pushing me to step out and be bold and I and pray for people, just bring me to another level. And then we went to uh, the Robinettes Church in Austria, and God spoke to me clearly the first time that I've ever an audible voice, and um, and that I'm ordained and I'm called to ministry. So I came back, obviously moved and hungry to do more. And had lunch with Pastor Ryan and told him my interest. Like I don't know what it is, but uh, I need to do something. I love souls. I and I, I want to do something. I don't want to go in the business world. Um, but I want to be in ministry and then we had revive and then you sent me down and you, we were just chit chatting, talking, but, um, it was like, God was speaking to me again and kind of affirming like, this is, this is the route that you need to go. Um, and so just a backstory of me and my family, uh, going through high school and college, the destiny for me is to go into the family business. Um, that my family had held for me is just like, hey, we have a big family business in North Louisiana. So we want you, it would be ideal, even I was thinking this, to graduate college, go into the family business. And of course, um, that would have been a fantastic route, but I just couldn't shake this calling that I had. And so um, my, I talked to my wife and she, she understood the calling that I had, but of course it was scary because financially and, 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 and pursuing a different avenue that we always thought, Hey, you're going into the family business. And then this next, this past year or that year, I was radically being changed spiritually. God was dealing with me. And so I felt this call to ministry. And so now I'm giving up the family business per se, and I'm going to pursue ministry and uh, didn't know what that looked like. Um, but then pastor Ryan and our senior pastor, uh, Dean was talked to us at Starbucks. And it, of course, like Pastor Ryan talked about, it, it blindsided us because I, I never thought, because my wife and I grew up at POBC, I never thought I would be taking or being asked to take the position of who I, idol, I idolize was Pastor Ryan, right? That's my youth pastor my whole life. And 
So I, I just, I'm thinking there's no way we could take their position or, or follow suit from what they've built. And so I always thought my ministry would be maybe missions or I don't know what it would look like, but then having my senior pastor and of course now our pastor Ryan talked to us about taking this youth pastor position. It was just a surreal moment. Like, uh, I can't believe this is happening to us. And so of course we accepted the position and, and so transitioning from a full-time job to ministry, I remember the conversation I had with our senior pastor and uh, pastor Ryan was that, Hey, ministry in time management is totally different from time management in a full-time job. And I'm thinking, okay, what does that look like? So at that moment, I'm young and I'm trying to figure this out. Um, full-time job, if someone has a full-time job, generally, if it's eight to five, just for an example's sake, it's eight to five. But in ministry, um, I had I came to quickly realize that you're up at the church, maybe working a full-time job from nine to four, nine to five, and then late night you might have to go grab or go you don't have to but you go grab coffee with a student or someone that that needs to talk to you and then you have a youth event on a Friday night and then on Saturday you want to hang out with the students at the church gym and so you want to play basketball with them and then you go to church from you go to church on Sunday of course 10 a.m service and then 6 p.m service and so the biggest thing that I had to adjust about two years or a year into youth pastoring my wife set me down and was like, and if you know anything about me, my personality is go, 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 and don't take no for an answer. Just be the cool youth pastor, do all the cool events, hang out with the students. That's, that's what a youth pastor needs to do. But I was married and my wife said, but when do we have time together? When do, when are you stopping and taking time to rest? And, and so I'm thinking, I guess I really don't because I'm trying to keep up and sustain this cool ministry and trying to be this cool youth pastor because in my head, Pastor Ryan was the coolest youth pastor in the world. So I'm trying to like keep up to his level and be what he was doing and, and, and being a young, I don't have kids yet at that time. And so we're just going, going, going. And then about a year and a half into it, my wife is saying, Hey, and then quarantine, of course, hits. And so that was a different level of being a cool youth pastor, trying to sustain live recordings, recording music videos, trying to keep everyone engaged online. My wife set me down, was like, you know, you need time to rest too, um, because it was breaking into the marriage a little bit. We're not spending time with each other. And the one advice, one key advice that I ignored that I wish I would have not ignored was Pastor Dean uh, telling me, hey, you're going to need time to rest and you're going to need to have your own set of friends. You're going to hang out with the youth, but you're going to need to have your own set of friends and, and, and have your own life as well. It's good to hang out with the students. Of course, you want to do that. Of course, you want to be there for them when you need to be there for them. And of course, you need to select time for them. But there has to be a, a time to where you rest and you take time to yourself. Um, and so during that transition period, transitioning from a full time job, to ministry time management was hard for me looking back on what I did wrong to begin with is I kind of ignored those those things that Pastor Ryan was telling me and I wish I wouldn't have because I had to learn the hard way and say you know what it is important to spend it's very very it's very important to spend time with your family and it's very very important to uh time of rest um just as it's important to spend time with the students and be there for the students 
Um, so going from a full-time job into ministry, I would say my biggest blunder or the things that I'm still dealing with is time management is that um, ministry to me looks like sometimes being up here from six o'clock at night till one in the morning on a Saturday, trying to do something cool in production. And, and I, I, ha I have to, especially having a kid now, I had to step away from saying, you know what, I can't do everything. Um, and so the, one of the biggest, second biggest advice was first was time management. The second one that pastor Ryan wanted me to, to do was immediately establish a student team or a youth staff. Um, and that was important. And we did, we did, we have a great youth staff that helps us. And so transitioning from full-time job to ministry was time management, but then establishing a good youth team. It's so important because, um, one, it protects you from burnout. And this is how, if uh, for going back on the time management aspect, we established a good youth team. And so I want to be there for them on, on youth nights, of course, on Sundays, and I need to counsel and be there for them. But if we're trying to have a gym night every Friday night, maybe there's some Friday nights that I, that Megan and I cannot make it to. So our youth team will make it to it and be there for our students and hang out with them. Um, during quarantine, we, we wanted to give gift baskets to all of our students or to every student that has been coming consistently for the past, you know, six months or something right before quarantine hit. So we, we printed out this Excel spreadsheet and we marked everybody's address. And so we wanted to deliver gift baskets to our students. Well, if it was just Megan and I doing that by ourselves and we didn't have a youth team, then, um, we would have had to visit 50 houses, but we had a youth team to go and to help deliver these these gift baskets to these students um and so there our youth team is there to encourage not just us but to help us to help with time management to help serve all students because in reality i had to come to realize that meg and i can't serve all students all the time so um establishing a good youth team was a lifeline and now beginning on early on i kind of ignored that too i we established a good youth team but i still was trying to do everything i was trying to be a go-getter and be and do everything um and i just had to come to realize i can't do everything but i to lean on and trust my youth staff to help us serve the students adequately um and then the third thing that i would say transitioning from our youth pastor at the time pastor ryan he's been in youth ministry for 15 years i've been in his youth group i've grown up at pobc my wife grew up at pobc and so they asked us to be the youth pastors. And so the first thing that came to mind was, what are the students, and especially the hyphens, going to think about this? Yesterday, I was in their youth group, but then I'm about to be their youth pastor. So what is the, what, what are the students going to think about us? And that's playing in the back of my mind. What, what, at, I'm not good enough to, to speak or have series like Pastor Ryan. I'm not cool enough to blend the goldfish on the stage as an illustration. Uh, uh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> no, no, we, we're going we're gonna to go we're gonna back. Cover that. So, gonna, so cover if this. you know anything about our youth uh, at the time, Pastor Ryan, to me, you know, uh, speaking at Youth Congress and, and, and just so I'm trying in the back of my head, I have this what I call a, a Moses syndrome where I'm not good enough, right? That, that maybe I don't speak correctly. I, I have a slight case of dyslexia where I read words differently and I have to study differently. I'm, I can't read books really. I do audio books. My learning style is different. 
the way I talk is different than from Pastor Ryan. My illustrations, I'm terrible at illustrations, but Pastor Ryan is fantastic at illustrations. So the first year of during that transition period that I had to deal with has come to realization is that I'm not Pastor Ryan, that I'm my own person. I have my own speaking style. I have my own study habits. And of course, thankfully, his office is right downstairs. I can go talk to him about how to build out a sermon series or build out a sermon or, hey, I'm talking about dating. Do you have any notes on dating that you went over that's, that's good? And so I had that ability, um, um, but I'm not Pastor Ryan. So the first year to two years is battling that Moses syndrome that you're not actually called. Maybe you're here just during a transition period but you're not, you're not actually called to ministry because your sermons aren't as good as Pastor Ryan or your illustrations are not as good. But this past Sunday, it, it, brought, it made me realize or it brought back to my memory, Pastor Ryan talked about let God be God this past Sunday. It was a fantastic sermon. And, and basically, to put it in my perspective, is that God called me for a reason at this time, at this moment. And so even if it is for a transition period, God put me in this, this season of life to do his work. So what I have to do is stay consistent in the word of God, stay consistent in prayer, stay consistent in leaning in the calling of what God's called me to do, and then let God be God, let God do the work. Um, so yes, of course I'm not, I don't speak and I don't preach like Pastor Ryan, but that's okay because I have my own unique giftings and my own uh, unique abilities. Um, so, uh, just let God be God, you know, Moses didn't think he could do what he was supposed to do, but God called him for a reason. And so if you're in a transition period and you're listening to this and maybe you're a young youth pastor and you're trying to transition and be a, a youth pastor or just ministry or in business, maybe you're stepping into a new role. Um, you know, if you prayed about it and you fasted about it and you feel like this is God's will, it is God's will. God called you to that moment at that time. So lean in your abilities, lean in your giftings. You do what you're supposed to do, but let God be God. So those are three key points for transitioning that I had to take away was time management, understanding that full-time job in ministry, you got you to gotta protect yourself, have a, a Sabbath day of rest, um, and, and, and then listen to your pastor, especially if you have a youth pastor that's been in youth, the youth ministry for 15 years. He's got some good advice. Listen to those advice and, and, and build you a good youth team. Um, and then let God be God. Don't listen to that Moses syndrome where you, you're not good enough. You're not called for that moment. You're not going to be able to run this business. You're not going to be able to manage this business. You're not going to be able to manage this youth group or this church. Yes, you're called for the moment. Let God be God. You do what you're supposed to do, but let God do the rest. This has been amazing. And um, you guys have been fantastic. I've got so many questions that I I want to run through, and so we're just going to jump we're just going to jump right into our content questions that that we have. Uh, Ryan, I want to circle back to something that you 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 talked about. I identified with. Um, I became youth pastor at nineteen and uh, served for I think it was eleven or twelve um, years. Um, before I transitioned to a different role. And I just exited um, youth ministry uh, leadership because I just exited uh, district leadership. And uh, you and I come from, I don't know if you remember these conferences and these these groups where they would, there would be like speakers would get up and they would 
they would call us to be lifers, and there was just like this hammering of, you know, youth ministry is not a stepping stone, and it's not. It it is not. It is you you serve exactly wherever you're planted, and you serve with all your heart, with all your might, and you don't, you don't, you know, you don't look at it as I'm just going to step on the you know the backs of these little kids so that I can get to where I want to go. Uh, you you just you serve with all your heart, and and you serve. Where, where you're planted and you serve where you're, you're called to serve. Uh, but there was this pressure, this cultural pressure in our generation to be lifers. And um, which always struck me as strange because uh, I didn't want to be the 45 year old guy um, still, you know, trying to be cool uh, with orthopedic shoes and pleated pants, which apparently have come back into, into fashion. Um, let's let you know how irrelevant I am right now, but I know for me anyway, I know for me transition was, was hard. There was, you said a certain amount of identity and attachment, um, to these people that you have led and how did you navigate the emotions of transition? Honestly, that it wasn't hard at first because I was too wrapped up in trying to make sure that everything was being set up properly for the transition. But what happened was, man. After maybe three months or so, I started realizing, like, I was assistant pastor at the time, and I was like, oh, I'm nobody's pastor right now. Like, mm-hmm. and, and my identity was leading young people. And instead of that being my mission or my calling, that became my identity to the point. I was so wrapped up in it yeah. that whenever that was out of my life, I started realizing I- I'm nobody's pastor. I'm an assistant pastor. At that point, my job became to be do everything I can to make my pastor shine, do everything I can to take the workload off of him, do whatever he asks, whatever he needs. But when that identity is ripped away from you, you suddenly feel like you have no foundation anymore for a little while. And I started having to find ways to uh, basically let God open up a new experience to me. Yeah. You're, you said that the pressure was formerly like to be a lifer, man. Uh, Sherry's youth pastor, my wife, Sherry, her youth pastor was in his forties whenever he stepped out of student ministry. And in my mind, I've always told people don't treat youth ministry like a stepping stone. It's not little boy ministry. It's not what it is. It's a calling. Absolutely. And, and I wanted to, to give it all the honor I could, but man, whenever you start losing your effectiveness in it and you start losing your ability to connect and that is who you are, it hurts, man. And it didn't hurt at first. It hurt when I realized like, oh my goodness. Like they don't need me. Like, look at what they've got going on. Like they, they, thank God they got me out of there. Uh, and so you had to find that new place, you know. And it was three years of assistant ministry, and then this, this year they voted Sherry and I uh, as pastors of the church. But those first three years, especially, it was like this long transition of figuring out where my place was all over again. And that's when look, Levi had me if he needed me. I went to my father, my pastor, and I've, I've asked him a lot of different questions and had to help him navigate, or he helped me navigate some of these rough waters. And it was essential because, man, I was wrapped up in it. You know how it is. It's like that is who you are. Yeah, and, and I think one of the things that, um, that helped me is I read this book, Foundations of Pastoral Care, and it had this whole section on grief. And I had, I had read it not for myself but to help others, and, and God kind of reminded me of, the material that anytime you have transition in your life, you grieve that transition, even if the transition is good and needed. And 
because there's a loss. There's a loss yeah. of normalcy. There's a loss of, of pattern. And human beings love sameness. And they love patterns. And they love predictability. Even people that say they don't like predictability and they like unpredictable things, they they like predictability. They they just like it. They they it's like comforting. safety. It's comforting. And so you have to understand that anytime you have a change in your life, there is there is a grieving there's a grieving process that um, that you go through. And I realized early on, I was like, oh, okay, I'm grieving, I'm grieving a a loss. Um, there has been a there has been a shift. There's been a there's been a change, and um, there is a there is a loss of normal. And uh, I I had to embrace the fact that when I transitioned, that there was going to be a grieving period, moving from youth pastor to to a to assistant pastor, and um and I just was was already prepared for that. What what advice would you give someone, Ryan, uh, who knows it's time? But they're having a having difficulty letting go, and and I was reminded of a Raymond Woodward quote that you don't transition when you're ready to leave. You transition when the next person is ready to lead, and right. um and so you had you had a leader that was ready to lead, and you knew that it was time for you to go, um but you like you had said when you make that transition, even though it's the right way, when you struggle with that grieving process. I want you to talk right now to the to the leader that knows it's time. Like the the exit ramp is ahead, but they're having difficulty because they're so wrapped up in the identity that that particular position provides to them. What what advice would you give? So obviously, our our first responsibility is to bring souls to God. That's like that's our primary responsibility to bring people to Christ. Yeah. Um. Underneath that comes a lot of different responsibilities. And I knew my responsibilities at the time. And when we were looking for the next step, I couldn't be passive about it. I took praying about, fasting about, and seeking the next step as seriously as the other responsibilities that we had. And so that became, it became part of my job. It was no longer just, I'm a youth pastor and I'm waiting for the next person. It actually became part of our job. And so we are very active in making sure that we were doing our due diligence and whatever we were talking about Levi and Megan to make sure that we had every base covered, that we were going to put them in a position to succeed. And uh, I'll be honest, because of the workload of that time, the youth ministry, I felt like that last year of youth ministry is maybe one of my least effective as opposed, uh, in contrast to maybe the first two years, I was just learning the job. The last year I was trying to do so much and I did feel my effectiveness wane a little bit, yeah. but at the same time, I knew how important it was that we put the right person in next. And so it became a vital part of my job, but also my ministry to make sure that we were passing it on to the right person afterwards. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It does. Yeah. Now, Levi, I want to turn to you. Um, you said you jumped from, you know, working in a family business, uh, probably a little bit more of a corporate structure than, than what you know local church ministry is like and you talked about time management being you know one of the big hurdles and i think the struggle you shared is the struggle that everyone in ministry it's a tension that you continually manage you know burnout and overextending making sure that there's 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 time for your family um 
I think that's a tension all of us manage because I mean, it's the it's church. It's you know, with with a with a business, it's like, well, if I clock out, we may not make this much extra money, but I'm going to make a fair amount of money. Right. Um, but in ministry, our our business is is soul, so it's like you always can justify overextending yourself if you try hard enough, because we're dealing with lost people and people who are struggling and hurting. And that's a really good point, man. It's a it's a tension that that has to be managed. So, um, I guess how did you and you kind of touched on a little bit. How did you overcome this, especially you know, being newly married? Uh, how did you overcome this struggle with time management and rhythm and balance in your life? And and like, what kind of practical tips would you give a new youth pastor who's you know day one on the job or month one on the job? And they're facing that same struggle, but they don't know how to manage it. How did you manage it? What practical tips do you have for them? My wife would probably be, she's going to be giggling because she still thinks I'm probably terrible at this. Um, <laughs> the thing is, because again, like you said, I, I, it's just when someone wants to meet, I feel this need. I have to meet. I have to go, which you do. You have to talk to them, but um. 24 hours. So I recently this past year, so through COVID, um, working a lot of hours trying to put out, um, obviously youth pastors immediately became, um, social media influencers <laughs> trying to put out a lot of content to keep their students engaged and paying attention to the church versus paying attention to all the other social media influencers. And maybe you weren't doing that and maybe you're trying to do something else, but it felt like you were giving so much of your time and having little bit in return because you're not seeing these students face to face. So normally on a Wednesday night or a youth night, you're preaching, you give, you get a reaction, right? But you're doing this through a screen, you're not getting much reaction. So you're not getting that, that time together. So I, I as a youth pastor at that during quarantine and Early on, I was spending a lot of time trying to figure out how to connect with the students on different levels and trying to be the cool video guy and graphic guy and um, giving a lot of my time to them. But I had, thankfully, I have a wonderful wife that set me down, especially I have a kid. He's two years old now. Um, she said, when are you, yeah, you're giving a lot of time to the students and to the church and to the ministry. It's great. But when are you giving time to us? And so when the statements like that, that, that hurts because you're like, Oh no, I didn't realize that's yeah. what I'm doing. And they're important too. actually, they're the most important to me is them. So, um, I have a good friend, Baron Carson. I talked to him and missionary to Paris and, um, he follows this rule. It's like 24 hours sundown on a certain day. I'm just going to pick Friday sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday. He's not going to, that's his off day. It's just a 24 hour period. That is his off day to rest, to spend time with his wife, with his family. Now, of course, if there's a, he's available for emergencies, of course, that, that, that's okay. But that's his time to disengage from social media, from just literally the world and spend time, quality time with his wife or his family. And so I've, I've taken that on um, is that from sundown, on it is Friday for me because generally Friday during the day, I'll try to do some church work, but have to from home. Um, and then on Saturday, 
that's family day for me. We go eat breakfast, me and my family, a little family go eat breakfast. We spend the day together. We try to spend the day together doing something. And then sundown on Saturday, normally around 10 o'clock is me making sure we have some things ready for Sunday morning as far as production goes. So 24 hour period, a day of rest is, is so important. I didn't realize how important it was for me emotionally, um, spiritually, and, and connecting with my family is having that period, a designated period with my family to spend quality time with them. Of course, during the week from five to 10 o'clock or whatever, we try to spend time together as well. But some things like last night we had prayer at the church. So there's things that we're going to be giving to the church during the week. But having a designated 24-hour time to rest is very, very important is what I, that's the advice I would give. Um, and, and actually disconnecting, trying to put your phone away, not getting on, even being on social media is, is, is giving time to the world. It's not giving time to your family. So um, I, I try to be de very deliberate nowadays. In the past six months, I've been trying to been, be very deliberate in that area. He finally started using the snooze function of Slack. It only <laughs> took like it. two years. <laughs> I love the snooze function. It's great. I yeah. love it. You know, and this sounds counterintuitive. I, I, I was resistant to, you know, getting into the Apple watch game despite being team Apple. And, uh, I just did. And I'm gonna let you know that my phone and screen time has been slashed by, you know, because I can still get all the messages that need attention. Um, and I can decide very quickly to dismiss them without opening up my phone and uh, doing something different. Because my problem is usually you you get a notification, you respond to it, and then you pivot to the next thing in the digital space that requires your attention. And next thing you know, you've fallen down this rabbit hole of work and you're not you're totally re-engaged again, and you shouldn't be. And um, and so anyway, that that's great advice, uh, Ryan. I want to I want to I want to turn back to you. Um, we've we've heard your story about about uh, Levi and and connecting with him and 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 transitioning him onto the team. Um, let's take let's take like a thirty thousand foot view of that for a second, and let's think about the principles that were in place in your head um, that made him a good candidate for leadership. What are some things that a leader needs to look for in a replacement? And we've heard your story, but let's pull out, let's talk principle, principle alone. What are, what are some things that a leader, when they're looking for a replacement, that they need to, uh, you need to go, hey, that's, those are the qualities I need to have. Number one thing is they have to have an apparent walk with God. This should go without saying, but it's astounding how quickly other people sometimes, I say other people, it's, it's tendency, especially in this culture. You look for talents rather than anointing oftentimes to say, well, who has this to offer instead of who is the, who's offering more to God? And number one is to make sure that they have a prayer life, make sure that they've got a walk with God. And then as far as their character goes, they have to bleed integrity. We have to see it in their life. Uh, one thing that my father's always said over the years is that leadership is influence. If you don't have influence, you don't have leadership. So if you see those natural influence, abil influential abilities in them, uh, you know, that's somebody that might just be a natural leader. And uh, yeah, you got to make sure that you guard yourself. And I knew in Levi and Megan, there was not just one, there were two people that would absolutely guard their character, their integrity, their influence, 
it was all essential to what they did. So we had no problems with that. And because we're close to them and have seen their life play out in front of us, we know that they had a walk with God and that God was the most important thing in their lives. And so I, I think the allure for so many people, again, is to look at what can they offer from a talent point of view. Like Levi's unbelievable with the social media, with the marketing. People always ask us, who does y'all social media? It's the best I've seen. It's at the Pentecostals if you want to go check out his work. And that's it's awesome. Great stuff. It really is. Oh my is. goodness, it's incredible. It's unbelievable, but at the same time, if he had no prayer life with God, and if I didn't see him shook every single time there's a move of God, which they're clearly, it clearly messes with him every single time, we would have had no interest in him as our youth pastor. We would just put him as social media manager and say, well, I hope he gets a spiritual life together. <laughs> but if you're going to be a minister, there's yeah. got to be that, that walk with God that is apparent, and it's going to come through and the things that we all see, which is integrity and, and influence, but it, it all goes down to that walk with God. And it's unbelievable how we de-emphasize that sometimes, but. No, I completely agree with, I completely agree with you. And you've kind of touched on this already with the walk with God stuff, but let's say you're looking at somebody, um, a leader's looking at somebody and they're like, Hey, th this, this couple, this individual may be a good candidate. In your opinion, what are some things that if they see would disqualify an individual is being a potential replacement leader for a youth pastor. They have to have self-control for one thing. Uh, Proverbs says that a man without control over his spirit is like a city without walls. And if they don't have control over their, over their spirit, then you can't put them in a place to lead anybody because they'll just leave destruction in their wake. And uh, you want to see that spiritual maturity. You know, the things that would disqualify you are somebody that just, if there seems to be chaos surrounding them all the time, you don't really want to place them in a position of influence. Yeah. If, if there's any variability in their walk with God and you see they, they're just always, there's a season where they're just not doing as well spiritually as they were before. You've got to find somebody that actually has their spiritual feet underneath them and that uh, has the right foundation to work off of. But I mean, most of the stuff is obvious, but the little things is just really not to be blinded by what man sees. That's why everybody was attracted to Saul. And when it came down to it, the man that was head and shoulders about everybody else was hiding behind the, the baggage, you know? And uh, yeah, it's just, you just want to see the spiritual walk there. Yes. Now, I, this is going to be kind of a, hopefully a fun question um, that I want the both of you to participate in is that anytime you transition to a new leader, there's going to be a comparison of personalities styles, gifts, all those types of things. And, and so what I want to know, uh, just, just for fun and just so people can understand kind of how the, the relationship works, how your dynamics works, what are, what are some similarities that y'all share and, and, uh, how, how are you different, uh, from one another and, you know, kind of what were the, I guess is the three part question. Maybe we're Bible quizzing now. Um, and, and what, what challenges or opportunities did, did, did they present? So, you know, just jump right in. So what similarities do you share? Uh, how are you different? And how did that make your transition kind of unique to you guys? Levi, go. Well, there, how we're the same. About one Sunday every three months, I'll be walking to my car, maybe six months now. It's getting a little bit far in between, but someone will tell me, man, you preached a great sermon. 
but it was actually Pastor Ryan that preached the sermon. <laughs> so I don't know if it's the way that I walk, the cadence. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm just trying to be just like him. Um, but people mistake. <laughs> people. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, everyone here is listening on an audio podcast, but uh, the, the video reactions here are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Pastor Ron's got some great facial expressions. He um, does. <laughs> but I don't know. People, a lot of times, I don't know why. Um just thank me for a great sermon that I preached when in reality it was just pastor Ryan that just preached it. Um, I have learned my wife has told me recently is that my speaking style is starting to, <laughs> I don't know why, but it's starting to be a lot like pastor Ryan. Um, bad. I don't know why that is, but um, maybe, I, I don't know. It's then it's the anointing just flowing straight through him. into me. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Well, one, one thing I saw is that when you talked about, and I, you know, Ryan, you and I are great friends. Uh, I, I know your dad well. He's been he's been on my podcast uh, talking about preaching, and I've been to I've been to Bozier a few times. And when you talked about the responding immediately to the needs of people, you know that feeling that someone sends you a message, I'm going to respond right away. I I have been with. You know, Pastor Dean, Pastor Ryan, and I've seen those messages come in, and 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 I have seen that desire to respond. Like that's something that you guys, there's something in the wiring of of your your love for people that that's a similarity that that I that I have that I have seen. Um, Bro, the one thing that I know we have in common is how much we love this church and these people. Um. There, there's no way to describe, I, I'd say across the leadership team here, we love not just being a part of this church, but the, the people at the Pentecostal Bowser are unbelievable. So there's a super deep love for our church that we share. But um, we, the big, I think probably the primary characteristic that we share in common is the, is the love for people. I'm an introvert, but I love people. Being an introvert doesn't mean you hate people. That's a horrible misconception. We love yeah. the people here, and that's what we share in common. The thing that we probably differ in is probably 90% of everything else. <laughs> and and look, this full disclosure, that was deliberate because yeah. I share a lot of commonalities with my father. I wish I shared more of the good ones. Um, but Whenever my brother-in-law Shannon left the staff, Shannon was kind of polar opposites to the rest of us. And that made his voice very important in what we did because it always offered a different perspective. And so this presented some good positives and maybe some negatives, but I wanted somebody in here that balanced out our leadership team. And so Levi has a lot of strengths I do not have. And I wanted that different voice in because it brought some balance to things. And also it's great to have his energy. You know, I'm, I'm a little bit more slothful at times, you know, just, just the way that I move around. I'm not in as big of a hurry. Levi is, I call him the hummingbird because you almost have to put him in slow motion to figure out what he's doing sometimes. <laughs> just flapping his little wings. Well, this, okay. So I, I keep sharing maybe too much, but uh, if <laughs> I watched Levi play a video game one time and it, he moved so quickly. I don't know how any human being could keep up with what he was doing. It was almost <laughs> like his hand was tremoring the entire time because the, the screen was going berserk. And that's, that's really 
kind of a representation of what he's like at, at work. You know? <laughs> uh, but I need, we needed that different voice. So it is not a bad thing for him to be different. No. Now it, it does create a little bit more transition whenever the students have to get used to a, a different personality. But at the same time, they're like, Oh, finally, this guy can plan an event the proper way, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so those differences actually benefit the team altogether. So yeah, he's, we're alike in some ways, but the differences that he brought, I, I would say have been like 99% beneficial. You know, we all have little moments where things have to be adjusted here or there, but man, having that different voice was fantastic. And so what I'm extracting from this is that you've got different personalities, different skill sets, different approaches uh, to work, um, but where there is this absolute non-negotiable commonality is in values and, and ministry philosophy. There is uh, people come first. We love people. We serve people. We're here for people. And there is, there is a common value system that serves as like the filter in your head. Now, how you go about it and you perform those, you know, that ministry or whatever skills or differences that you bring to the table, strengths and weaknesses, those things those things, all they do is they round up the team. What's most important yeah. and that what must be shared is values and ministry philosophy. And that's what you should look for. Is there someone here that if we're a church that's all about relationships, are they all about relationships too? Are they all about loving people too? Um, and then whatever skill set they bring to the table, that's just, that's just wonderful. That's just great. Yeah. And a lot of times I, I would have a tendency to get in the way because it's like Levi was saying earlier, whenever you first start in the ministry and you transition to a role, new role, you feel the need to prove yourself and to prove your value. Yeah. Well, sometimes so that's to the detriment of the team, because if I know that I've got a shortcoming, I need somebody to fill that gap. And a lot of times we get in our own way, but we try to make sure that we're all things to all men when we can't be. Um, now, Levi, if you were to boil down like we did for Ryan, we're going to take kind of that 30,000-foot view. Um, if you were to boil down what Ryan did for you to a few principles or practices, uh, not necessarily specific examples, but just principles, what should a transitioning leader provide for their replacement? So if you were to take all the stuff that, that Ryan and Sherry did uh, for you and your wife, if you're if you're to break those down into principles, what what would some of those principles be? Um, one establish clear expectations. Um, you know this is kind of what we're expecting from you. Um, setting goals, and then also like Pastor Ryan was, I had the luxury of running to his office and having a clear communication with him. Um, so the biggest thing is communicating. What is your expectation? Setting the expectation, setting the goals, um, and then communicating back and forth if if you do need to correct something or not to correct something. Um, patting them on the back when they're doing something good, um, and, and 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 then just helping them through the transition. That, that's the only thing that I could really say besides echoing what Pastor Ryan already went through. Besides the obvious. Um, uh, the, the biggest thing to me always stands out is communication, clear goals, clear expectations, setting that for the new person coming in, just so they're so it, like me transitioning in. I'm not just wondering, hey, am I doing this correctly, but actually knowing I'm hitting these marks. And then, like Pastor Ryan said at the very beginning, maybe having 
a week or two weeks, especially that first year, uh, debriefs, maybe once a month and saying, hey, this is what you're doing good or how's it going? Are the students doing good in this transition or how's this one student doing? And they've been going through this situation. Were you aware of this situation? Um, just clear communication is it probably to me would be the number one key for transition. I want to Sherry jump, would right? be laughing so hard if she heard you say that right now. She's like, clear communication. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this has been an awesome conversation. Um, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to do this. I want to jump right to the last question. Um, and uh, every, youth ministry is wild. It's, it's, it's crazy. There's really nothing like it. If you were to copy and paste the experiences that youth pastors have into any other ministry, music, children's, uh, seniors ministry, some of the things that we have experienced, if they experience, if we, we went through them anywhere else, I mean, it wouldn't make sense except that it happened in youth ministry. Um, I have thrown up. Uh, I have thrown up in front of large groups. I have, I have Ryan. I don't know if you were there the year that I threw up against the tabernacle wall at Ontario youth camp, or maybe that was in the year that you weren't there. I don't know if you were there the year I threw up in front of the uh, kids during gross out games. There's just, there's a lot of vomit. I was really there. I take it back. I take you, it back. You were there for that one. You were there. I was there. I was it there. Was, I don't know what it was, but everyone started throwing up, and I just started throwing up. And there's there's a it's lot of the game was to make the students throw up. That's why you threw up. I the threw whole up. point of the game was to gross them out until the everybody got nauseous. It turns out I was the one that got grossed out, and that's when I knew. <laughs> that's when I knew that I was getting too old to be in youth. Anyway, my point is is that if it ha there's stuff that happens if it happened anywhere else. Um, you know, police would be involved. Uh, it would be completely unexplainable. Uh, PETA may be involved as well. Um, and so, what, and this sets me up. Ryan, what's your crazy youth group story? Levi, we're coming to you next before we, we close out the show. But what is your wild youth group story? Or maybe you guys have one that's shared. I'm not sure. What's, what's yours? I've, I've shared this around a little bit. So somebody who's listening has probably heard it before because it's too good not to share. But early on, you know, as a youth minister, you're always looking for a visual illustration to get your point across. Yeah. yeah and that was to. such a struggle sometimes. And we had this series called Life in a Fishbowl. And <laughs> scenario <laughs> which, which, which that series, that whole series was a disaster because I also got half of my eyebrows shaved off during that series. But that's, that's a different story. <laughs> uh, but one night I'm like, okay, I'm trying to, express these young people. Sometimes it feels like your life is out of control, but God can remove you from that situation. If you just call on his name, blah, blah, blah. And How so I'm getting pumped up about this. And I look over and I've got this beta fish in my office. He's mine. This is my buddy. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to use my beta fish for an example. And so I've got this drape over a table through this entire sermon and I'm going on and on. And my closer is this illustration. I take the drape off of the table and on the table, is my betta fish. I think that was the one named Freddie. I had Freddie and Uncle Rico. I don't remember which one he was. Oh, I think it was Freddie. He had a name. They're, they're my fish. And so my fish is inside of a blender. I plugged in the blender and I just tapped the lowest setting. And Freddie was just doing circles around the blender. And everybody goes, oh. And I said, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I said, sometimes it feels like life is getting out of control. 
Oh, and praise I said, but, God. But just when you think, <laughs> this is so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, but just when you think that life is more than you can bear, and I picked up the blender, and so I, I took the cup up, and I pressed it on high, expecting for it to turn on at the last moment, my lift Freddie up into the sky, like God removing us out of our cares and troubles. But the bottom of the cup, the grooves caught the final millimeter and it sucked the cup back down. And I blended, I blended Freddie into a million pieces in front of our entire youth group. You killed your fish. And it, oh, no, it, no, looked, no. it looked it like a tornado of brilliant, bright colors. I didn't even know oh, Freddie had that no. many colors. But on the very front row was a little junior hire with his cap all set aside like the skateboarders he watched and he fell on the ground dying laughing and couldn't get up and of course there was no altar call but that little junior that little junior hire on the ground was the youth pastor that you hear on this call right now so he was there for the blending of the fish that was levi on the front row that's incredible literally right in front of the blender he was the closest one to the whole thing he's the funniest thing of my life oh man now, Levi, I, you've been in, is it three years now? Or you're, you're in, completed fourth. three years in your fourth? Right. Yes, okay. Sir. Has anything crazy happened to you yet? Um, No, we could sit here forever talking about the 15 years of craziness of youth pastor Ryan about the time that he knocked <laughs> me out um, at a youth <laughs> event, too. That's not, that's not an exaggeration. I, he lost consciousness. Yeah, he put me on a mattress as an as like a, a race during. It was a game. It was a yeah yeah game like Hunger Games. He um he killed me <laughs> almost. He put me on a mattress, and so the the game was to put me on a mattress. They duct tape me to a mattress and to crowd surf. Well, it wasn't very well thought out, I guess, because some when it got to the end, there wasn't no crowd left, and so the kids just tossed the mattress with me duct taped to it. And I flipped like your my arms. Legs. They didn't, they yeah. just, you didn't well, even have we, arms. we forgot we, somebody who was setting up the game, somebody was duct taping them to the mattress. They forgot that they needed their arms. And so they duct taped their arms down. So they were defenseless as they flipped over the final piece. Yeah. So I hit my head on the pew and woke up <laughs> a youth worker saying, are you okay? Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I, I keep, you know, every, <laughs> I almost Every, killed our future youth pastor. <laughs> the foreshadowing. He, he scarred him mentally by murdering a small fish and then knocked him. I mean, you know, when the Lord just wants somebody to be a leader, he just he makes a way where there seems to be no way. It is I was thinking about this, and I know we, we gotta we gotta we gotta end the show at some point. I'll have to add in music in the post roll or whatever. But Ryan, I was thinking about this. The uh the the era of of stuff that the era of leadership we were in like this is why we have waivers now yeah <laughs> yeah this is why yeah. we have insurance policies this is why like this because crazy stuff used to happen and I'm just want to let you know Levi I know you don't have any crazy stories yet but they're coming they're coming, they're coming. I don't know man happen. he's too responsible. He's he actually oh, thinks no. through listen, these things. Listen, listen. Sometimes it's not <laughs> Hold about Hold on. Levi, tell him about the time you nearly put one of your students in the ER. Oh, yeah. He's allergic to fish? That one? 
yeah. Did so you blend we it, do... make them drink it. No, no, no. We we it's one of those Precious games boy. where you you put um like uh the box in front of them so the crowd can see what they're touching, but the the students got to put their hands in the box, you know, to see to try to guess what they're touching. Well, anyway, this student is severely allergic to fish and I, it didn't click in my head that he this was this was a student that was allergic to fish well we put like sardines and some other gross like tuna and something that he was gonna have to touch to try to guess and so um he's about to do it his sister's in the audience and so his sister starts yelling at us and i'm like why is she out of control someone calm her down and the fact is it was because oh that's my alarm but that's it's because he's highly allergic to fish and so it would send him to the er so yeah we almost sent him to the er and this past camp i think you were there uh adam um were you there when we did the sleeping bag at the at the camp where we did the sleeping bag where we put kids in sleeping bags and we had another student drag them across the tabernacle i don't know i if heard you saw that. i heard about it no yeah, i didn't see we it almost killed a kid literally um i was worried so <laughs> we did a race where we put students in a sleeping bag and then another student had a or two students had to drag them around the tabernacle at camp. Well, these kids were being dragged, but as they would turn corners, their heads would just <laughs> fuse like the one after another. One of them smoked the subwoofer. <laughs> yeah, one hit the subwoofer. And he was he got buried so deep and tangled in the sleeping bag. We started ripping apart the sleeping bag and we looked at him. I grabbed it was a little kid, man, junior camper. I grabbed him out of the sleeping bag and I pulled him up and I tried to stand him up and I said, are you okay? I'm not kidding you. He looked at me cross-eyed and started walking sideways saying, I'm perfectly fine. I looked at our youth president, brother Drew, and I said, we got to take him to the nurse's office and let him get checked out. I still don't know what happened to the kid. I don't think I ever saw him the rest of the week, but dude, (laughs) you know, that wasn't very well thought out either. Um, but yeah, so don't, if you're listening to this, don't put people in a sleeping bag and drag them across the tabernacle or your sanctuary. <laughs> well, listen, guys, this, uh, I haven't laughed this hard in a long time. And so this has been a great conversation. Uh, thank you guys so much for your time. Uh, I know this is, this content is going to help a whole lot of people. And so I appreciate you guys being open, being vulnerable, sharing your story of, of transition. And uh, I know you're going to help a whole bunch of people help a whole bunch of leaders navigate transition well so thank you guys very very much yeah man we love you yeah thank you